Well, amen. So good to see you folk today. I'm glad to be back from Ohio. They don't know how to say you all in you Ohio. They say youans. And uh, I'm so glad to be back. I've got papers everywhere here. I guess I can. My eyes haven't seen. Oh, this is the song you folk just sang, right? Okay. I thought that was a note for the sermon this morning. All right. Here, Brother Jim. I'll not be singing, I don't think. All right. Well, you're not uptight because we're taking an offering, are you? You're not scared because we've changed the services around and taken the offering last, are you? Then I need you to loosen up a little bit. Uh, uh, folks usually get uptight when we start talking about money and stuff of that nature. And uh, I, it really makes me nervous to uh, reference to finances and so forth and so on. So turn in your Bible to the book of John, if you would please, this morning. Now tonight, is there a ball game taking place this evening? I am going to preach tonight on how to win the Super Bowl. My sermon title tonight is YAC. Yards after contact. John Madden made that cliche very famous. Yards after contact. What are you going to do the first time somebody asks you, is that your nose or are you eating a banana? Get mad and quit because Christians are not supposed to treat you that way. What's going to happen the first month we have stewardship? Well, I'm going to get out of church because that's all they talk about down there is money. Whether you win or not, whether you finish or not, depends on what happens after contact. The people who will win the game tonight are those who don't lay down the first time they get hit. Those folks who win the game tonight will be the ones who has four or five tacklers on the guy and he's still dragging them down the field. Well, I'm going to quit. My wife didn't cook this morning. You might ought to be thankful for that. With that attitude, she'd probably poison you anyhow. <laughs> Loosen up. At least you members make the visitors think you're glad you came to church today. John 3. In your Bible. Today is together we build offering day. Nothing new. For 25 years, the first Sunday of February, 
We always prove to God today we love him. And the Bible says you prove the sincerity of your love by your giving. You do the same thing with your family. If you love your family, you do not need a sign hanging on the bumper of your car saying, I love my family. You prove to them each day of your life that you love them through giving of yourself, giving of your resources, giving to make them happy. 25 years ago, I just, God impressed me. Now, he didn't stand at the foot of my bed with an outdrawn sword and say, now tomorrow when you go to church, I want you to tell the folk this is how you prove. No. God impressed me 25 years ago that one Sunday a year that we'd just say, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you with it all. Lord, we love you without any reserve. And I read that verse, you prove the sincerity of your love through your giving. We do not need the money. Today is not about money. Please understand it's not about money. It's about loving the Lord. John 3, how much did it cost God for prove your love Sunday to be a success? What kind of offering did God give to make this a success. Could I please suggest to you verse 16? For God, don't miss this next word, so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Notice that verse did not say, for God loved the world. It said, God so. Loved. God did not just love us. God so loved us. I, I don't know, in my Bible, I wrote in my Bible this morning, I've been preaching for 40 some years, 46, 47, 48, 100, In fact, me and Noah outlined my first sermon. <laughs> this morning, I wrote in my Bible, just above the world, 
G-E-N-E. For God so loved Gene that he gave. I'm going to scrimp on my offering today. I'm going to say I can't afford to give the economy's bad. For God so loved Gene that he gave a tithe, not hardly. 50%, not hardly. He gave his only begotten son. There is no way under heaven you can separate love and giving. You may give without loving, but you will never be able to love without giving. Because love motivates. I think our Lord and Savior should be our model in every area of our Christian life. Would you say that? Would you say that our Lord should be the model by which we plan and live our life? Come on now, we're talking about love now, not talking about money. I'll give you a sign when I say money, that way you can go. You can get into this Baptist expression when I, I'll wave at you when you could look like, I'm sad I'm here. Our Lord not only modeled for us life, he modeled for us how we are to live our life. And I think he is a model in our giving. If you notice, first of all, our Lord modeled willingness in his giving. In John 3, the Bible talks about God willingly gave his son, lovingly gave his son. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so as a model of the Lord Jesus modeled, our giving should be willing. Not only that, it should be joyful. The Bible says that God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Someone said in in the Greek that word joyful is hilarious. We ought to be laughing and joyful when we give. And Jesus, the Bible said, in the word of God said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the throne of the right hand of God. Listen, God does not want your money grudgingly. And I don't either. Yes, I do. (laughs) I don't want it for God. I just like to see you grudgingly give it. (laughs) 
Some folks I know are so tight, when they die, God will have to bury them in a form, in a casket made in the form of a corkscrew to screw you into the ground. You say, how do I know who that is? By looking at your face right now. And please let me help you. If you don't want to, don't give a dime. If you can't afford it, don't give a dime. And if you want a garden next year, don't plant, don't sow, just pray for it. And go out at your garden every day and pray for the clods to produce a harvest. Jesus modeled for us giving when he willingly gave himself, when he joyful gave himself, when he sacrificially gave himself. The Bible said in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also hath once suffered for our sins. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh. John three sixteen is the gospel in a nutshell. And it covers every area of our spiritual life. Hey, have you got anything in the mail recently that says to you this? Is something for nothing. We have for you a free trip to anywhere in the world. It just does not include airfare, hotel, or food. Or we have a free car for you, and I want you to know you're the lucky person if you're chosen out of 100 million plus tax title and license. A free meal for you down at the steakhouse. If you buy the most expensive one we got, we will include a hot dog for your kid. Everybody's looking for something for nothing. This is a coupon clipping world. How about a 50% off on your next purchase if you spend $50,000? God's got something for nothing. God says, I have a gift for you that will cost you nothing but cost me everything. God says, I have a gift for you. I have eternal life for you. I have life abundant for you. I have power beyond any imagination. I have provision beyond anything that this world can offer. It's all for you absolutely free. No gimmicks, no strings, nothing. 
I have a gift for you. And God says, it is free to you, but it costs me the very best I have. Would you please examine with me just a minute God's sacrificial offering. In the light of us giving, and in the light of us having a build together offering, in the light of that, lest you and I see what did God give, what did it cost God for you to be saved and secure and sealed forever. Notice, first of all, the prerequisite to God's offering. Something went on in the heart of God before he ever gave his offering. Here it is. God so loved. God so loved. Now, If you're having problems today with your offering, it's not your wallet that you have problems with. It's your heart that you're having problems with. God did not consider the cost. God did not consider the price. God allowed the love for you and the love for me to dictate to him what his offering would be. God so loved, the Bible said, in your Bible, it says, God so loved that he gave. Romans 5 and 8, God commended his love toward us. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, God so loved us. 1 John 5 and 10, 4 and 10, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. There is no doubt about what went on before the offering took place. Love motivated the gift. Now let me help you a little bit, if you would please. We give gifts to those we love, do we not? Christmas rolls around, birthday rolls around. Monday rolls around. Anything rolls around. If we love folk, we will give to them without any shadow of a doubt. And I'd like, I like what somebody says. It's not the size of the gift, but the thought that counts. That's a hypocritical saying. I want you to know that. (laughs) Try it on your wife next Christmas. Honey. It's not the size. (laughs) It's the thought. Try that next year. Try that on her birthday. Phil, you try that next time. Here's a bag of Cracker Jacks. It's not the Cracker Jacks. It's the heart that counts. You better duck, Phil. Don't go to sleep in her presence for the next six weeks you do that. It's not the size of the gift. It's the thought that counts. You know what really counts? It's what you keep in regards to what you give. That's where the heart is. 
Now, we all give gifts to those we love. But here's the thing. How many of you folk give gifts to your enemies? I'm not talking about plastic explosives. I'm not talking about pouring molasses on their seat covers in their car. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about how many of you folk just love to give to folks you can't stand. And that's what God commended his love toward us. And that while we were enemies, alienated from God, doing everything against God, God so loved us. That he gave the best he had to redeem the worst he could find. That's our pardon. That's our pattern. Notice the prerequisite to God's offering. Would you please allow me to talk about the preciousness of God's offering? Now, I've been, I've been, you know, I'm the leader. I've been wrestling with God for a month about what to give today. And God's suggestion was a lot better, a lot larger than mine. If I am that way, has anybody else been struggling with that? God gave you a figure and you've been negotiating with God for a while. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm the only sinner in the place. I'm the only tightwad. I'm the only guy in this place caught up with junk. Because, God, if I give you what you suggested, that's going to cut down on my junk for the next two or three months. Really, They thought I was a better preacher last week in Ohio than you do today. Because they acted like they was enjoying what I was saying. And they were heathens. I'm talking about folk never been in church in their life. Amish. Midianites. Didn't know what the gospel was. Men, we had the trick to take their hats off in church because they had never been in church before. Camouflage. All they know about is shooting something. i just glad it wasn't me. <laughs> and they acted like they enjoyed the gospel more than you folks are. That, that's amazing to me. That, that, that is absolutely amazing to me. They did not know the prerequisite to God's offering like we do. They did not realize the preciousness of God's offering. Precious. Only begotten son. Not just one of the litter. Precious. Only begotten. That was God's offering. Precious beyond all measure. Precious beyond all imagination. Precious. And God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. John says, only begotten son into the world. God. Precious. 
son. God started about two or three months ago with one figure. And I started with another figure. And there's just no negotiating with God. A couple of weeks ago, I came up a couple of numbers. And God just kept betting right there. I said, dear God, can't you at least give a little bit on that deal? Some of you men ain't enjoying this. And I wrestled with God and wrestled with God. And as I thought about today's message, God knew what was going to happen to his son. But he gave him anyway. He knew of the rejection. He knew of the beatings. He knew of the mocking and the scourging and the denial and the betrayal. He knew of the crucifixion and the pain and the sorrow and the hurt. But he sent him anyway. Dear God, you don't understand what this is going to cost me if I put a dollar in the offering plate. Yes, he knows what it costs. He realized the preciousness of his offering. He knew, bless your heart, the separation. He knew that when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, that God himself would turn his back to his own son because sin was being piled on his son. He knew he'd have to turn his back and reject him. He knew that his son would say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Precious. But preacher, I don't know if I can afford to give today. Really? Really? Said, preacher, you know there's a Super Bowl tonight. Do you realize that God's offering was precious and it was a personal offering? It was for me. For God. So loved Gene. You got a Bible? Would you write your name there? Then ask God, what did it cost you? For God so loved. Preacher told me the night that I got saved. I'll never forget it. He looked at me and said, Gene, if you had been the only sinner in the world, Christ would have died for you. Wow. The prerequisite 
God loved me. The preciousness, his only begotten son. It was a personal gift. Whosoever, whoever is in an emphatic form, it's used 179 times in the Bible. And it means the same thing every time. Absolutely, positively, unconditionally, anyone. Elected or not. Chosen or not. Red and yellow, black and white. Anybody and everybody. Christ died for you. I kind of appreciate that. Notice if you would see it says whosoever believeth. That means to have faith in or on Jesus. It means faith plus nothing. It means trust plus nothing. It does not mean faith plus baptism or baptism. It does not mean Faith plus going to church. It does not mean faith plus tithe. It means if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, faith plus nothing, minus nothing is all it takes. Not according to your clothes. Not according to your education. But notice now, trust is a definite act. Somebody says, well, I believe God. Is that enough to get me to heaven? Yeah, if the devil's going. The Bible said the devil believes and tremble, and he's not going to heaven. Faith and belief is a definite act. Well, preacher, I've always been a Christian. Have you always been born? Believing and receiving is is an inseparable act. It's an experimental, it's an experiential thing. Preacher, I believe in God. Okay, great. Do you believe in aspirin? How many aspirin in a bottle, as long as they stay in a bottle, does it take to help your headache? I believe in aspirin. I believe it can fix my headache. Take it, dummy, if you want some relief. I believe in God. I believe in heaven. I believe in Jesus. Receive him if you want the benefits of being saved. That's what it's talking about. Whosoever believeth in me, it's an experiential thing. It's a receiving. As many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Last Saturday night, I preached to 980 hunters. Jesus Christ died for all of them. And I looked at some of them and I said, dear God, I wouldn't die for that heathen. Then God said, you're probably a worse heathen than he is. And I preached. And 113 of those wrote down on a card that they received Jesus Christ as their personal savior. 
113 of them. Some walked out and didn't write anything on the card. They probably believe in God also. They probably believe the Bible also. They believe in a heaven or hell also. But to go to heaven, you got to do it God's way. And you have to receive him by faith. And if you do, you have everlasting life. If you do not receive him, then you have an end in life. In the lake of fire. Your choice. But God's already proved to you. How much he loves you. Because when the offering plate rolled around. God said. I reserve nothing. I give my best. Precious. Personal. Lastly, let me talk to you about the permanence of God's offering. The permanence should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, preacher, what if I get saved today and go out tomorrow night and get drunk? Just makes you a good Baptist. A lot of Baptists believe they can do that. Well, preacher, one of I, I walked down the aisle today, and, and with all of my heart, I, I, I asked the Lord to forgive me, and I asked Him to come into my heart, and He does. What's it going to take for God to take it back? Well, how long is eternal? How long is everlasting? How permanent is never perishing? How permanent is everlasting? God is not an Indian giver. If there's any Indians here, I don't know what that means. God is not a white man giver. God is not a black man giver. In other words, when God says something, it's real. When God gives something, it's permanent. Amen. You say, I know somebody that don't act like they're saved. Well, I know a lot of somebodies. I'm ahead of you. But it's not God's fault. If we fall off the wagon. And I just don't know too many folks who ever got saved that didn't fall off the wagon. But God said that He so loved me. That he gave the offering of all offerings. 
his only begotten son. And he wrapped me up in that, in that total package when he said, whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow. The prerequisite, think about that if you would please. The preciousness, the personalization, and the permanence of God's offering. John 3, 15 calls it eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 calls it eternal life. 1 John 5, 13 calls it eternal life. John 3, 36 calls it everlasting life. Even if I was a teenager or just a young kid, I'd want in on that. Amen. Amen. Years ago, in Chicago, during the Great Depression, there was a little boy on the street corner selling newspapers. He did that to help provide for his family in those days. His tattered jacket that was about three sizes too small provided very little, little relief in the, in the windy city in the wintertime. And in one of those particular cold days, the little boy stands on the street corner shivering as he yelled out the newspaper for sale. And on that particular day, a policeman noticed the little boy was cold and chilled. And he said to the little boy, son, are you cold? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, say... Let me suggest something to you. Son, you know that big white house up on the corner? And the little boy said, yes, sir. I pass it every day on my way to this corner. He said, would you, when you get finished today, just walk up to the door, up to the house, knock on the door. When the lady comes to the door, I don't want you to say one thing. You just say John three sixteen. Little boy went to the door, knocked on the door. Lady came to the door. And the little boy said, John 3, 16. And the lady said, why, come on in, son. He walked in the house, beautiful, beautiful furnished house with a fireplace going. And it was so warm. And the little boy sat down in front of the roaring fire. And the gentle lady was so kind to him. As he sat there at the fireplace, he sat there and he just was wondering around that cozy fire. And he said, you know... John 3.16, I really don't understand it, but it sure does make a cold boy warm. Soon the lady came out and said, son, are you hungry? Little boy said, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And so he sat down at the table and began to eat and he ate and ate and ate and ate until he finally got so full he couldn't eat anymore. The lady went to the kitchen and the little boy thought to himself, John 3, 16. 
I don't understand it, he said, but it sure does make a hungry little boy full. After he'd eaten, the kind woman came up, brought him to a huge bathroom, big bathtub. The water was running, and he said, son, would you like to take a bath? The little boy said, yeah, I hadn't had one in a while. And he sat down in the bath, and he was taking that bath, and he got out and washed himself and put on some nice, warm wool pajamas. And he sat there a little while, and he thought to himself, John 3.16, I don't understand it, but it sure does make a little boy, a little dirty boy clean. She showed him to the bedroom with the big bed was all fluffy and covers and everything so beautiful. He laid down immediately, fell asleep in the morning. He woke up and he smells his favorite breakfast cooking, bacon and eggs. As he's getting dressed in his clothes, the woman laid out for him. The little boy said, John three sixteen. I don't understand it. But it sure makes a little tired little boy rested. He went down to the table and sat down at the breakfast that the lady had cooked him and ate till he was full again. He said, you know, I don't understand it and I don't know what it means. And so the lady said, do you understand, son, what John 3, 16 means? He said, no, ma'am, I do not. And so she stood there and took the Bible and opened it up and showed him John 3, 16 and showed the little boy how he needed to be saved and why he needed to be saved. And the little boy accepted the Lord Jesus after hearing about him dying on the cross for his sins and after he accepted the gift of God the little boy said John 3.16 I understand it now it makes a lost little boy saved do you understand John 3.16 